time for episode number 75 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. We're talking about gray divorce, financial advising, and why it's so important. Here we go. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host, Jason Lavoy. All right, welcome to this episode of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lavoy, aka the Divorce Resource Guy. And today we are going to be talking about great divorce, which I recently spoke about, um, but it's coming up again because, again, this is a really, a really popular demographic for people getting divorced. But in this episode, we're going to talk about how great divorce goes with the importance of doing the right things in financial planning in your divorce. When you're thinking about uh, other people, you're a little bit older yourself. It is so important. That's why we're talking with Russ Thornton. Now, Russ has been managing wealth for over 25 years and helped countless women get ready for retirement and care for their families, build wealth, and most importantly, live great lives. So he is the person to talk to. Okay, and we're going to get right to it right now. Check the show notes for all the links to where you can learn more about Russ and uh, possibly even work with him. But let's get right to it, folks. All right, Russ, welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited to have you on, and and we're going to talk about gray divorce and uh, what's going on with that exciting topic. Um, but before we get started, uh, for people who are not too familiar with you, just give us an idea of kind of who you are, how you got to this point in your life and, and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Uh, excited to be here and, uh, and join you. Um, so I'm uh, based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a financial advisor. I've been a financial advisor for 28 plus years now. Um, and during that 28 years, I started at Merrill Lynch, one of the kind of the largest global financial firms out there. Um, I, I did that for about a dozen years. Um, and then I deliberately left and dropped my securities licenses and set up my own fee-only uh, fiduciary practice. Um, so I went from I went from one of the largest firms to literally a one-person show. I did that for a few years and then uh, rolled that into a larger independent uh, RIA, which is where I'm, uh, where I'm working today. So I'm a fee-only uh, fiduciary uh, financial planner and advisor. Uh, I work uh, primarily with women in their 50s and 60s who are getting ready to uh, plan for or transition into retirement. And I think it's fortuitous that, that you and I are talking because a lot of the women that I get introduced to and referred to are dealing with uh, divorce. They're either, either in the midst of it, they've recently kind of reached a divorce settlement and they're trying to kind of figure out what to do with all the pieces that are kind of in front of them. So it's, uh, it's challenging, uh, but really, uh, really rewarding work as you, as you, as you know, well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it is kind of uh... Uh, you 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 said fortuitous. I'll use the word kismet <laughs> that we're that we're talking to each other because um, as as we were talking uh, off air right before uh, we got on, you know, I work with people going through divorce um, in some capacity, whether it's at the beginning, middle, or even end stages. So um, that relationship between me as a divorce coach and you as a, a kind of a divorce financial planner and fiduciary that they really go hand in hand. So. Um, we'll talk more about that maybe at the end and, and how people uh, can utilize both uh, somebody like me and you um, in the process. But for before we get into it, explain for people, because 
I'm sure there are some people listening uh, who who hear it and but don't really doesn't really process. I want them to understand what a fiduciary is and and how that is different than you know somebody who calls himself a financial planner but is not a fiduciary. Yeah. So um, many, many, may, maybe most um, people out there, most of your listeners. Um, probably assume that if they go to work with a financial advisor, and I'm using air quotes as I say that, um, that that financial advisor is um, required to put their, the the person's, the client's interests first. Um, Unfortunately, that's not always the case. So, um, and I can speak personally from this. So when I worked at Merrill Lynch, um, I was hired as a broker, although the title of my card said financial advisor. Um, uh, And as a broker, I was held to what was called a uh, standard of suitability, meaning um, if uh, I can recommend a, an investment product, a, a mutual fund, a stock or whatever, to uh, a client of mine, as long as it was deemed suitable based on their kind of life, life situation, age, risk tolerance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and arguably, this is kind of a, a gray area between what's suitable and what's not. Um, but um, another component of this is the way I was compensated. So um, as a broker, um, when I was um, working with clients, most often I was compensated not by my clients, but by a product manufacturer. So uh, if I was selling a mutual fund that had a commission uh, or some kind of payment structure, um, I was compensated directly by, oftentimes directly by the mutual fund provider or the money manager or things like that. Um, So to flip the script on that as a fee-only fiduciary, which I've been since 2006 when I left Merrill Lynch uh, and I dropped my securities licenses, A, I no longer receive any compensation other than um, directly from my clients. Right. So my clients now pay me. And in my opinion, whenever money is changing hands, there's no way to completely eliminate conflicts of interest. But I think it significantly reduces them because I'm not compensated uh, based on selling you financial product A versus financial product B. Right. And to come come full circle back to your original question, Jason, as a fiduciary, I am now legally held to the standard of putting my client's interests ahead of my own, meaning I have to explain fees. I have to explain the rationale of one recommendation versus another. Um, and so it- um, And it frees not- you up, right? And it, it frees you up to offer what you think as you know, a financial advisor, again, air quotes, but it, what is best for that particular client situation, not the conflict of interest when you're not a fiduciary, when you're more of a broker, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that, right, because you get compensated for pushing certain mutual funds or certain products that you might get a commission on, those are the ones that obviously you're going to push because you can earn more if you sell those, whether they're the best for the client or not. Correct. And that's the rub. And one more, I mean, we, we could spend an entire hour talking just about this, but one <laughs> more thing that I'll introduce is there are also advisors that can wear both hats. So there's, there are advisors that have a broker dealer relationship and can act as a broker and receive commissions and other payments from third parties, but they can also put on their fiduciary hat and serve as an advisor to the client. The problem is the client doesn't always know which hat they're wearing when they're right. giving advice. And so um, I, I'm not 
I'm not throwing anyone under the bus or saying that um, based on how an advisor is paid or where they work makes them good or bad. That's certainly not the case. Um, but I think if, uh, if you're interviewing advisors, if you're looking to work with an advisor, you're interviewing advisors, I think a good question to ask, not the only question, but a good question to ask is, how are you compensated? Um, and are you held to a, a fiduciary uh, a level of responsibility at all times? Um, yeah. So- I, right. And, and right. We could easily talk about this for the for the whole show, which we won't do. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do another show just on that because it is important. And that's why I brought it up. I just wanted people to understand when they hear the word fiduciary, why it is important and why they should look into that more and, and, and kind of what it means, because I, I, I feel like that's important, too. Well, yeah. Um, and as a former attorney, you you know, the you know, the term well. Yeah. Um, and if you hire an attorney, there's never a question. Um, unfortunately, in the world of financial advice, it's a lot. The, the waters can be much more uh, murky. Right, right. No, absolutely. And so, you know, people who are looking for financial advisors or, or help, um, that's why it's so important to understand exactly what you're getting into. And when you go to a consultation, let's say, what questions to ask. So that's a great topic for another one. But let's let's get back on track for this one. Um the point is you're a fiduciary and, and you, you work for the client's best interest. I mean, that I would be right in saying that, right? Yeah. Bottom line. That's, that's what bottom it boils down to. Yeah. Okay. And so I guess from a financial advising standpoint, you know, when it, when it comes to divorce uh, and, and you're working with people uh, you know, who are older in their fifties and sixties, and that's where the term gray divorce comes from. Um how is that different for you in what you do than working with somebody who's, you know, younger in the say maybe the thirties or forties? Yes, that's a really big question. Um, <laughs> but there's a couple of things that immediately come to mind. Um, t- typically, for folks that are older that have been in longer-term marriages, um, while this is certainly isn't always the case, but they've typically had more time to accumulate assets, um, savings, investments, things like that. Um, that can add uh, additional layers of complexity in and of itself, because typically when you're in your 50s and 60s, if you have children, not always, but if you have children, they're typically out of the house at right. that point. You so it so. really become yeah. So it really becomes a financial transaction. How do we take a, a combined household and separate it into two individuals, um, exactly. both financially and with regard to their lifestyle? Um, and so not always, but typically there's more financial stuff in play uh, when people are older and have been married longer. Um, and then some other things that, that you and I were discussing before we hit record is for, um, for people in that age range, 50s and 60s, especially women who I, I tend to work uh, most with, I think you do too as well, Jason, yeah. um, they have some unique challenges. Um, women, I think everybody is aware of the fact women live longer than men. Um, at the same time, they typically earn less for the same work. That's kind of the wage gap. And they often spend less time in the workforce because they uh, often opt to have children, raise a family, things like that. So those are some financial headwinds that they've got to think about and plan for. And then on top of all that, women also uh, often either fall into or uh, self-select themselves as kind of the caregiver role. So if they have aging parents or aging family members, um, oftentimes that falls to the adult daughter um, more so than the adult son. Uh, clearly, there are exceptions. So sure. they could be dealing with aging parents, um, and that can have financial uh, and other uh, you know, aspects to it. Um, 
and, and increasingly, uh, this is maybe a little less common, but increasingly uh, I see women um, or people in this age range, 50, 60 plus, uh, dealing with adult children that um, have gotten out of college and maybe had some difficulty getting uh, launched into their career. Um, and there may be some level of support um, that is either necessary or they want to provide to them. So I kind of refer to this as the perfect storm. And what it's often easy for these people to lose sight of is to, you know, if you've ever flown commercial, they always tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. That's right. Um, uh, there's no better example of when to do that. So as much as you might want to take care of your, your children, your flesh and blood, take care of your parents, um, you need to focus on making sure your um, financial ship is in order first. Uh, make sure that you've got a plan to move ahead, make sense of you know, whatever your divorce settlement may, may have looked like, uh, for better or worse, and figuring out. Because oftentimes, these same people don't have the luxury of just jumping back into a career when they're right. in their 50s, 60s, or older. So they've, in, in most situations, they need to make this divorce settlement last for the rest of their lives. So how do they right. do that? Because in, in addition to uh, all the other, you know, kind of headwinds, I think you use the word, uh, you know, that women are facing, um, I, I think they're also facing, you know, again, it's not, it's not about right or wrong. It's just, it, it is, you know, age discrimination, uh, especially if they're trying to get back into the workforce or, or you know, uh, it's just, it's just harder, right? When you're in your fifties uh, and, and sixties trying to, to, to get a, a job. And so, um, I think I would add that to the list too. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, they, they just have the cards stacked against them in many right. cases. Um, now, fortunately there, there's actually a, a silver lining here. Um, uh, women uh, specifically are, um, naturally better with money than men. Um, and there's research that supports this. So they have the capability and wherewithal to, um, make the best of this situation, uh, maybe more so than their male counterparts, but that still does not make it any less challenging. Why is that, do you think? Based on what I've seen in red um, and, and, and a little bit experience, uh, experientially, um, women are um, just tend to be a little bit more uh, patient and a little bit more holistic in their thinking. Yeah. Um, and, and for better or worse, um, and, and I, can, I can point to examples where I've seen the worst of this, but many women are so focused on the future that they're uh, a little hesitant to enjoy their financial resources today meaning they, they might underspend what they could otherwise afford to spend right. today. Mm -hmm. um, big picture, that's not the worst thing. But at the same time, you need to strike a balance so you're not you know, making yourself unnecessarily miserable today right. um, if you have the financial, financial resources and wherewithal to do, do more. Um, but you know, in, you know, if, if you kind of level the playing field, that's not the worst um, situation they could find themselves in if they're maybe being a little bit more frugal um, to give themselves a little bit more peace of mind for the future. It's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, uh, ar arguably, but it can still be a problem. Right. Um, so let's see how I, I want to tackle this with you because th there's so much to, to really go over. But how do you, when you're working with people, are you working with them when their divorce is almost over and they have their settlement and you're not, you're just telling them, like you said before, the best way to work with what they have or what they're getting as far as a, a settlement and a divorce uh, financially? Or do you also work with people who are still negotiating the settlement and offering advice on, 
I, I, it's tricky, right? You're not offering obviously legal advice, but you're offering, you know, like this is what you need uh, for a healthy retirement or to live, you know, at a certain level that they're expecting to live. Like how, how does that work? Or you don't touch that at all. I, so good question. I would say uh, in 80% of the cases I'm referred to a woman, um, you know, in the late innings or after the divorce has been finalized. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm introduced by her family law attorney or by a forensic accountant or maybe another professional that says, all right, now this is done. You need some help figuring it out. Give Russ a call. Um, but there are instances where I have gotten involved prior to the settlement where I can sit with the client um, and or their family law attorney and say, well, what if instead of taking as an example, what if instead of taking 45% of the assets, we instead say, let's, let's negotiate for 55% of the assets, but we're willing to give up a little bit of the spousal support. I was or, just going to say, right. Or doing like a lump sum uh, alimony versus, you know, over 15 years, whatever it is, like those types of analysis. Yeah. So, yeah. And we can, um, we can, that's a great example. We can literally run like, what if scenarios, what if we, what if we would go with, what if we go with the settlement or the negotiated offer on the table versus what if we go with option B or option C or D, or, I mean, you can run them ad infinitum to come up with, um, with a way to give uh, the client a little bit more um, uh, context so they can make a more informed decision. Um, and and to, a, to a lesser degree, the attorney as well. So the attorney can right. know kind of where to push and where to be maybe a little bit more forgiving when they're trying to negotiate the final settlement. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think having somebody like yourself on board during uh, the process, during a, the negotiation phase can be very helpful as an attorney because, um, you know, as a divorce attorney, that was my, you know, wheelhouse, but, you know, finance definitely is not. <laughs> I'll be the first one to admit that. So whenever I talk to like forensic accountants or financial advisors like yourselves, you know, I always say, you got to dumb it down for me and talk to me like I'm a three-year-old because that's the only way I process that stuff. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Well, and there's another element too. Um, and, and this is maybe getting in the weeds a little bit, but um, not only do you want to figure out like the amounts of assets and alimony and child support and things like that, but um, at even a layer deeper, um, you can actually look at the composition of assets, for example. So like getting uh, like a dollar, that you're giving in a bank account is very different than receiving a dollar in a IRA or a 401k, right. for example. Or um, uh, to get even deeper into the details, um, if you look at the actual positions in an account, I've, I've dealt with this. I'm actually dealing with a client um, now that um, her divorce was settled several months ago um, and her now ex-husband um, agreed to give um, her his entire IRA uh, unbeknownst to her, and I'm not sure if the attorneys were aware of this or not, because I, I was introduced after the after the divorce was uh, settled. Um, she's got a bunch of illiquid, expensive alternative investments in her IRA, so um, she can't sell them. They're expensive, um, so it's almost like she didn't get that money. I mean, she'll get it eventually, but you know, she has no liquidity there. So. Right. Um, that again, that's another level of detail, but uh, there's a lot of nuance involved in figuring out, you know, if I'm, if I'm being awarded a dollar uh, in, at, in marital assets, is it really a dollar that I can access and spend and use? And that's not always the case. No, and, and right. And it's, again, in my mind, and, and to dumb it down for me and, and 
maybe some other people who are listening, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of comparing, okay, you know, he's keeping his 50,000 in his checking account and he's giving me his 50,000 in his IRA. Like it's not equal. Right. And, and so that's where somebody like yourself and an expert uh, in finance can help shed light on why it's not equal and, you know, different options you can consider and, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Again, that, that could be a whole nother episode too. But yeah. um, so, so let's talk about how you, well, what tips do you have? Um, let's do it this way. Like what tips would you give people who are, you know, in the late innings of their divorce and not sure exactly if they're set up, you know, for future success where, you know, they're in good shape financially and whether they're contemplating, you know, whether they need a, somebody like yourself and, and, and how you help them. So I think the best place to start um, for, uh, for a person dealing with divorce, especially later in life, 50, age 50 plus is to, and this is easier said than done, but the first thing to do is take a step back, forget about the money and, and think long and hard about what you want your life to look like. Um, yes. the, analogy I, the analogy I often give is um, if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, um, it's really tough to put the pieces together if you don't have that picture on the box to kind of reference. Um, so I, I encourage people to take a step back and think about what your picture on the box is. Like, yeah, I love that analogy. Yep. Where, you know, where do you want to live? Who do you want to spend time with? Do you want to stay in the marital home? Do you want to sell it and downsize? Is the marital home even on the table? Is there a marital home? Right. Um, you know, uh, what, what do you want your relationship with your kids to be like? Because even in the wake of divorce, you're, if you've got kids, you're, you're always going to be a parent. Um, and you need to be very cognizant of not, not getting so invested in fighting for the divorce that you alienate or damage your relationship with your children. Um, you know, what does it cost to be you? I mean, what, what is your lifestyle cost and can you afford to maintain that post-divorce? Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but I think before you get to the stage where we're kind of prescribing what you can afford to do, let's first take a step back and think about what you want your life to look like. I think that's a, a super important and valuable step that is often overlooked or often skipped over just because people want to say like, um, what do I do next? Um, so uh, again, easier said than done, but, but super important, I think. Right. It, it, it's actually, this might be a really bad analogy, but uh, it just came to my mind. So I'm going to spit it out. <laughs> it's like when you're riding a bike um, and you're looking, you know, at the road right in front of you uh, to make sure you don't hit anything, but you really should be focused straight ahead, up ahead, um, because that will give you, you know, a better view as to any hazards and obstacles that may be in your way. It's kind of the same thing. It, it's hard for people just to get out of looking right what the next step is in front of their life. And, and but it's so important to look at that big picture and what's ahead. Um, and that's, I, I say that to my coaching clients all the time, you got to, you know, what do you want your post-divorce life to look like, right? Articulate yeah. it. Um, yeah. you, you know, with words and images and, and that, that's a great step. Yeah. Love the analogy, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think you start there and then, uh, the next step is, uh, taking in inventory, like where, where are you? Um, you know, clearly if you've, if you're kind of in the end or have just gone through divorce, um, through your divorce settlement agreement and through, um, your financial affidavit and, and things that were collected through the divorce process, you should have a pretty good idea of what you, what you now have. But it goes beyond just income and assets and things like that. You need to also think about, you know, do I want to stay 
do I want to continue to live where I'm, I am? Or maybe I want to relocate uh, and be closer to children or grandchildren. Or um, maybe I want to uh, go back to school because I've always wanted to pursue a, a passion project or a hobby or um, maybe something uh, charitably inclined, but I need to uh, brush up on some skills to do that. So um, I think uh, kind of inventorying kind of a, a part B to the picture on the puzzle box, if you will, is to um, think a little bit more practically about, okay, well, um, you know, where am I? And, you know, where do I want to be, let's say a year or 18 months from now? Right. Um, so which kind of goes to your analogy of like riding the bike, you don't want to look right in front of you, you want to kind of look, look down the road a little bit. Um, and then um, I think the best place to start is with cash flow. Um, do you need $3,000 a month to live more or less 5,000, 10,000, you know, everybody's situation is gonna be different. Right. But if you need $5,000 a month to support your, the lifestyle you've become accustomed to, but through um, income sources, including alimony, spousal support, um, child support, um, you know, social security, whatever the situation may be, you've only got $3,500 a month coming in. Well, you know, there's maybe some yeah. tough decisions ahead, but better to know that sooner than later, as opposed to just plowing ahead, spending $5,000 a month and looking up, you know, 12 or 18 or 36 months later and say, you know, oh crap, I'm headed in a potentially bad, bad direction. No, it, that, that, that's a great point. And, and as we're talking about this, it's coming to my mind too. And maybe this is a, is a good way to kind of tie everything up for today, it, it, you know, in, in a nice little bow. Because we're talking, you know, the focus on gray divorce. So people who are older um, have different issues and different priorities than people who are, are a little bit younger in life and in a different stage. And so um, people who are closer to, let's say, retirement and are thinking that way, right, and about winding down instead of winding up, um, there's also not as much time. And, and whenever we're talking about money and finances, you know, time is key, right? It's a, it's a huge variable. It's probably, I would say, um, the most important variable um, when you're talking about, you know, like compounding interest and all this other stuff. But, you know, if you're older, you have less time to make the most of what it, what you have. Um, and, and it's important because it's like you said, if you go in the wrong direction and you're not using your assets in the most efficient way possible, it may be hard, if not impossible, to kind of recoup that or, and, and repair whatever damage you may have caused. Yeah, uh, well said. Um, not, not just from a spending uh, and a cash flow standpoint, but from an investing standpoint as well, right. um, from preserving your assets to make sure that while you're hopefully in a position to enjoy your lifestyle today, that you're still well prepared for tomorrow um, uh, and, and, you know, an uncertain future. Um, and so how do you uh, balance all that. And so, um, and that's really what it boils down to is like balancing, um, you know, your needs today with your desires to live a comfortable and, and confident, you know, future. Right. Um, and how do you make that work? And I think the best way to make that work to kind of come back to like starting with your vision and then what do you want to do over the next 12 to 18 months and then start with cash flow. Um, I think it really uh, boils down to uh, focusing on the things that you can control. Um, and not getting too wrapped up or too anxious about things that are outside of your control. You can't, you can't control what other people are going to think about you. You can't think about, you know, maybe relationships that are changing at, in the wake of a divorce, um, you know, your relationship with your former in-laws. I mean, that, those are just a couple of small examples. You can't control what 
It's going to happen with tax legislation. Just a few years ago, um, you know, um, alimony was taxed very differently than right. it is today. Um, those are things you can't really control. You can't control what markets are going to do, interest rates are going to do. Um, so focusing on the things you can control, I think, is um, the best way to move forward. And it, it, it's also a lot less stressful um, and less anxiety inducing because you don't get so worked up about things that you really can't do a whole heck of a lot about. It's, it's, it's the probably one of the foundational blocks of what I do. And, and that's, you can only control you. So don't try to control others yep. <laughs> because it's not going to work. Um, and don't waste your time. Yep. Right. So, well, Russ, I mean, I feel like we've, you know, scratched just the, the tip of the iceberg, but I think we covered a lot too, uh, in just a short time here today. I want to thank you for coming on, um, tell people where they can find you and, and, uh, you know, how you can work with them. Yeah, thanks, Jason. This has been great. Um, if people want to learn more, um, the uh, you can go to a couple of places. So my website is wealthcareforwomen.com. Um, you can get in touch with me there uh, via phone or email if you'd like. Um, happy to, you know, be available and help however I can. I also have a uh, podcast, Women's Retirement Radio. Uh, so you're welcome to check me out uh, there as well. Awesome. No, that's great. A fellow podcaster, right? Um, Thank you again for being a guest. And, you know, we'll definitely uh, have to pick a topic and uh, do another show soon because, again, there's so much to talk about. And, you know, I think it's important information that, you know, we have to get out there to, to help everybody. Yeah, that'd be great. I look forward to it, Jason. All right. Absolutely. So now, hopefully, everybody, you are listening to this and you are understanding it really doesn't matter how old you are, but it is that much more important the older you are to properly plan, have a strategy, right? Be intentional with everything that you're doing, especially your finances in divorce, because you don't have as much room to kind of change course or, you know, mess up, so to speak, when you are older. Time is so important when you're talking about building wealth. So, and also the importance you learned a little bit of why whoever you use to help you with your finances should be a fiduciary and the different conflicts of interest that could possibly uh, arise from using people who are not fiduciaries in financial advising. All right, enough of that. If you want personal help or one-on-one coaching with your divorce, hit me up, jason at jasonlavoy.com. I also offer group coaching through my Divorce You monthly membership program. Check that out on my website, jasonlavoy.com. And Stay tuned for the next episode of the podcast. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon. Yeah.